0: Backchat! Malcolm Turnbull announced that the laws of maths do not apply here.
1: <laughs> one of my favourite brands of comedy Ariel, is brown people and black people <clears throat> making fun of white people.
0: Senators have been dropping like flies recently.
1: Shouting out the fact that in the Knowles-Carter family, women just have one name.
0: Backchat on FBI Radio.
1: You're listening to Backchat, the freshest wrap of news and current affairs on the radio. I'm Osman Faruqi.
0: I'm Ariel Bogle.
1: Ariel, what's up? How you doing?
0: Not too bad, not too bad. I actually saw Death of Stalin last night. I've been looking forward to it for Ooh, a long time.
1: I saw it last week and I dug it.
0: It was way more... Well, I expected it to be dark because it's Armando and Ianucci, of course, but it was brutal.
1: What else is Armando famous for?
0: Uh, Veep, of course, In the Thick of It. Just a lot of different types of comedy or centred around politics for the yeah, most yeah, part. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And Death of Stalin, as the name suggests, is about the death of
0: Stalin oh, Stalin yep. it's not a
1: metaphorical title it's very literally about the death of the former Soviet dictator and interestingly Stalin is someone who is quite uh, quite well known for his uh, I guess policies, ideologies um, and his support of, of big government intervention in the, in the in the market.
0: Where are you going with
1: that <laughs> you're about to find out um, this week Australian politics, was gripped by its own love of big government uh, and intervention in the markets.
0: Can we have a round of applause for that segue? Yeah,
1: that was not at all <laughs> extremely forced. <laughs> um, we're not talking about Stalinism, but but big government is is in again, everyone. Uh, it's back, baby. It is back. This This week we saw two very different ends of the political spectrum throw their support behind the idea of more government intervention in in Australian uh, economics, basically, um, and rejecting this free market economic consensus that has dominated Australian politics for the past 30 years. Uh, Richard Di Natale, the Greens leader, kind of kicked things off on Wednesday. He did a speech to the National Press Club where he outlined some of his key priorities for the rest of the year. One of those was around housing. He wants the Reserve Bank, which doesn't really lend to people at the moment, to actually start getting into retail lending by offering cheap home loans to people to help them buy property. Uh, he also outlined plans for a universal basic income, which is basically an income guarantee for all Australians, regardless of how rich or poor you are, or what your background is, or how much wealth you have. And he suggested that 25 grand a year is something that could uh, replace the way that our welfare system currently works. It would be more efficient, according to Dean Natali. And, and Ariel, you would know more about this stuff than I do, but one of the things about a, a universal basic income is it's supposed to help deal with this impending mechanisation rope of everything that the economy is going to face.
0: That's right. So universal basic income has really sort of come into popularity lately in response to the growing fear that automation is going to eliminate a lot of jobs and not just jobs in blue-collar situations, factory work or on the car floor, like making cars, but also, you know, law firms. A lot of law firms are now able to outsource some of those really basic tasks to algorithms, to software.
1: So saying lawyers may be out of... Jobs.
0: Well, young lawyers. Not a that, moment I, too soon, as far as I'm I concerned. I reckon those dudes at the top will do just fine for the foreseeable future. But uh, yeah, so it's a it's an idea that's been kicking around for quite a long time, but definitely is having its moment in the sun in Silicon Valley. Um, maybe it's an, a way these all these tech guys are you know dealing with that guilt about creating the um scenario in which people can lose their jobs to machines but nevertheless it's a really interesting idea and of course it's one that as they want to do the Scandinavians are looking mm. into pretty closely first and there are some really interesting exper- social experiments going on up there um, you're looking at the idea of universal basic income and whether it could be a fairer way to sort of rise, raise everybody in the community up at once rather than giving welfare only to specific people.
1: Interesting. And, and we have a, a grab from Richard Natale's address to the Press Club where he talks a bit more about the universal basic income and his pivot to big government.
0: We need a universal basic income, or UBI, that ensures everyone has access to an adequate level of income, as well as access to universal social services. It epitomises a government which looks after its citizens in contrast to the old parties who say,
1: just look after yourselves. So the Greens have always been on the on the left end of the political spectrum, out of the, the big uh, political parties represented in Australian Parliament. But Richard Di Natale has made a big part of his leadership, rebranding the Greens as the progressive mainstream, and some people have said that that means moving the Greens more towards the centre. Um, but this speech he delivered this week seemed like a pretty big step away from that, now talking about quite radical policies, effectively the the reserve bank idea would effectively be creating like a government-run banking institution to loan money to people. And there are a few different theories kicking around as to why Di Natale's chosen this moment to announce that kind of tack towards the left. And if you remember a few weeks ago, the Greens had a less than stellar result in the federal seat of Batman in, in the city of Melbourne, uh, in Victoria. And that along with a poor result in the Tasmanian and South Australian state elections the weekend before, has raised a lot of internal tensions for the Greens, and a lot of uh, party members as well as MPs from around the place are suggesting that the party maybe needs to get back in touch with its roots. And Di Natale, in announcing these more left-wing or traditionally social democratic policies, could be, I guess, throwing a bit of red meat to the base and reminding them, hey, look, I'm also left-wing, I'm also down here for big government, I love the idea of nationalising banks, I'm really into that, I might not have ever talked about it before, but yes, I, I'm a firm believer in it. And um, I think the UBI, even though that has support, like you said, Ariel, from Silicon Valley, in in a lot of other regards, it is uh, considered to be a pretty... Pretty radical. Pretty radical as well, and, and when you look at the countries, like you mentioned, the Scandinavian, Northern European countries, they're the kind of countries that are seen as being the most socialist, the most redistributive. So it's interesting to see Dinatali um, driven perhaps more by what's happening internally than than mm. anything else at the moment.
0: Absolutely. But funnily enough, they, the Greens and Dinatali were not the only party, you know, espousing the the goodness of big government this week. Actually, there was a... F- Faction of coalition MPs, they gave themselves the name the Monash Forum, who released a manifesto where they called for the government to publicly fund and construct new coal fired power Mm, plants. Bold,
1: bold, innovative policy.
0: (laughs) This this is the future of Australia, coal. coal. (laughs) Um, It's a who's who of everyone's favourite coalition politicians. Guess who's in it?
1: Uh, Who are my favourite coalition politicians? Uh, I'm pretty partial to Barnaby Joyce. Is he in it? Tick, tick. Hey. I also really like Tony Abbott. Tick, tick. And I think my all-time favourite, another Queenslander one, George Christensen.
0: You are spot on. Oh, my
1: God. What a trio. What a team.
0: I know. Can we sidebar? Can we just <laughs> take a moment to consider the last time Christensen was on the cover of a magazine was him in a singlet with a whip?
1: Oh, my God. That was a kind of the Good Weekend cover. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Epic picture. But so this is all about coal. They want a return to coal. They want the government to publicly invest in new coal-fired power plants. <laughs> but I'm really stumped about why they named it after John Monash. So... You no, know, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to remember my like high school history. Yeah, but Monash was a a wartime leader. He was a general in the Australian Army and he did some good things overseas, but he was never into coal. or Am I wrong?
1: Well, actually, Ariel, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. He was a general in one but he's also very famous for, in fact, discovering coal. Jo- John Monash <laughs> was the the, the Austra- Australians' discovered coal and John Monash was the man who, whilst leading the Australian forces uh, in Allied expeditionary flight, I think maybe in Gallipoli, he, he found a lump of black rock and realised that if you burnt it, you could get energy and you could boil water and create steam, and that steam could turn turbines and you could have wow. coal-fired power stations. I just no- was, this was
0: just not in the history <laughs> textbook.
1: <laughs> For anyone confused, that absolutely did not happen. John Monash, as far as everyone is aware, has nothing to do with coal, has really nothing to do with the Liberal Party, has nothing to do with conservative politics, really.
0: Well, I guess he symbolises a old Australia, you mm. know, one that conservatives like to look back on with good family yeah, values. Yeah, well, back
1: in the British Empire kind exactly. of part of the day, yeah.
0: Exactly. But um, funnily enough, the Monash family, his descendants who are still around, um, put out a pretty strong letter disassociating themselves and telling the coalition, this faction of coalitions, to drop the name. They said, uh, we disassociate ourselves specifically from the forum's use of the Monash name to give their anti-science and anti-intellectual argument an air of authority, and we ask that they withdraw Mm -hmm. the name.
1: Would you ever see your name being used in some way in the future for something (laughs) like that?
0: Yeah, I wonder what it would be. Probably Uh, at that point, it's going to be that we've got to find out that wind turbines are, like, evil and (laughs) (laughs) there'll be some faction of Coalition MPs calling themselves the Bogle Brigade or something like that.
1: (laughs) The Bogle, I love that. Um, But as an example, I still don't fully understand why Monash has this reverence amongst Coalition MPs, but as an example of... Um, The the sway that his name or picture has. One coalition MP said publicly this week, uh, a guy called Eden Goodenough from WA, that he basically signed up to the Monash Forum without really understanding the full complexities of it, because he saw a picture of John Monash on the top of the piece of paper and was like hell yeah, I'm down with John Monash, he was a good dude, Um, nothing wrong with our our, our generals and and our service people and signed up and (laughs) I think he's regretting some of that action.
0: Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. And the reason why this is particularly interesting from this idea of big government is, of course, the Liberal Party are meant to be the party of free market. You know, they believe in the power of the stock market, I suppose. Some would
1: say it's like their defining principle. (laughs)
0: Indeed. So that's what makes it particularly interesting that they're really desiring this sort of government finger to be put on the scales in favour of control of coal, sorry. And the other interesting... um, dynamic where this is playing out is about the Liddell power plant. So this is a power plant owned by AGL, the power company, and the coalition has been leaning on them really hard to keep that power point Power plant open or at least sell it to somebody else. AGL wants to shut it down. Um, they're not really interested in selling. It looks like because they want to use some of the parts for a du- for a different project.
1: But ba- basically, AGL's like coal fired power is just not that yeah. affordable anymore.
0: Yeah, they just don't see the business case for right. it. But the government wants them to create a business case. It's very because confusing. the government likes
1: coal yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it's fascinating to see uh, the Liberal and Tony Abbott in particular, who's, who's the key uh, agent behind the Monash Forum. Remember when he first came into office and he had that 2014 budget, the infamous budget, mm. where he just said, we just have to strip back everything. Government's gone too far. We've got to cut higher education, cut health, cut schools, cut welfare, just tear everything apart. And now he's saying the government should be building new coal-fired power stations. It's the interesting hypocrisy about face. is pretty, pretty intense. Yeah,
0: Very interesting. But I guess I'd like to also take a look at what this all has in common like what does richard Di Natale have in common with the monash forum I mean, they don't seem like likely allies but they both are calling for government intervention
1: and and the death of stalin as well how do we how and do we how, do we, how, how Star- do we link that back in Let's
0: make this go full Yeah
1: oh, I'm not sure like um I think I think the really interesting thing about both of these things, and we discussed this with Dean Natali uh, just, just a few minutes before, is that what seems to be driving him is more internal pressure and internal tension than anything else, um, rather than like maybe a grand strategic direction that he's sat down and mapped out for the next few years. And similarly, with what we're seeing with the Monash Forum, that also seems to be a lot more about internal liberal politics than it is about good policy, because a lot of the people associated with it and the fact that you've got... Tony Abbott is is a pretty clear giveaway they don't like Malcolm Turnbull That's right. and they're trying to use the coal um, coal policy issue or coal-fired power issue to put pressure on his leadership and try and paint him as someone who doesn't support coal enough and use that as a way to get other coalition MPs to stop supporting him. Right. Now whether or not that works remains to be seen, but the fact is the fa- like just the sheer existence of the Monash forum this week, and the fact that it was publicised led to a huge amount of stories about Malcolm Turnbull's leadership. I think people were not expecting a group of coalition MPs to put their names to something mm. that was advocating for something outside of party policy.
0: And, of course, there was a minor Twitter meltdown the other day when someone suggested that it was indeed on, meaning Some that... Some total
1: random Twitter account mm. who said, yeah.
0: But we were all... Uh, so he suggested that there was going to be a party meeting on Monday where Peter Dutton would put forward his sort of candidacy for mm. leadership and maybe Julie Bishop would also throw her hat in the ring. Yeah, it was very random. I mean, you know, as a lot of people pointed out, um, the, there was no party meeting, not to get stressed out. But I guess people were willing to believe it because mm. it does look like it may indeed be on.
1: And, and there were reports in more credible, um, you know, uh, publications and in, in, in articles saying that it looks like Malcolm Turnbull is losing support from his, his, uh, I guess, former trusted advisors and cabinet ministers. So we could be seeing some leadership action... Later on this year But look right now We're going to play you It's a brand new track It just was released overnight It's from Cardi B's debut record uh, State of Privacy Absolute Corker album And the tune is called I Like It It's got a language warning So if you don't like bad language Maybe turn your radio down For a couple of minutes
0: You're listening to Backshot on FBI 94.5 And that was Cardi B with I Like It she also had Jay Balvin on that track, and I, I was just telling Osman how much I love Jay Balvin, which I feel like it's a se- bit of a secret shame.
1: Because,
0: well, uh, he, just, he just the demeanor—it does not look good. He, he makes did. awesome music, but his his style doesn't look
1: like a friendly fellow.
0: Doesn't look, yeah, he doesn't look chill. Doesn't <laughs> look like I could like have a fun convo. But maybe I'm completely wrong. We'll have to see. I'll go find him in Colombia sometime. <laughs> so. We are going to talk in now about a pretty serious issue. Indigenous people are massively overrepresented in Australian jails. In fact, they make up 27% of the prison population, but of course, only 2% of our overall population. And our legal system must be profoundly reshaped if anything is to change. That was the conclusion of an Australian Law Reform Commission inquiry into Indigenous incarceration, and it was recently tabled in Parliament. It actually made 35 recommendations, including ending the practice of jailing people for unpaid fines, which disproportionately affect Indigenous women. But advocacy groups are warning the government must act on the report quickly and decisively. Carly Warner, Executive Officer for the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Services and key member of the Change the Record Coalition is here to talk us through it. Hi, Carly. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So... You know, Walk us through the report and some of those key recommendations that you really are looking to for the future.
2: Yeah, sure. So I think it's really important to highlight that Australian governments have now been provided with a roadmap, essentially, for reducing these disturbingly high levels of overrepresentation representation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in prison with the release of this report, Pathways to Justice. Um, the report highlights the fundamental link between the continuing impacts of colonisation and the inequality of incarceration of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the continuation of punitive, discriminatory laws and policies that disproportionately affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. There were a number of recommendations, and as you highlighted, um, some of the, the key recommendations include a call for national justice targets to reduce the rates of imprisonment and violence experienced by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It's essential that national justice targets, as part of the Closing the Gap framework, um, are put in place in order to coordinate efforts, to ensure accountability and to monitor progress. Commonwealth, state and territory governments must work in true partnership with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people through a justice target, to try and address the root causes and the consequences of criminalisation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. There were recommendations that um, there be provisions to consider factors relating to Aboriginality when determining bail and sentences, Uh, the abolition of mandatory and presumptive sentences. Um, With the flick of a pen, essentially, every jurisdiction in Australia could abolish mandatory sentencing and drastically reduce the number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are forced into prison every year. And all governments should repeal laws imposing mandatory or presumptive terms of
1: imprisonment. And Kylie, was, sorry, has there been any indication from state or federal governments in response to this, this report that suggests that they're willing to take up those recommendations?
2: At the moment, we're still waiting to see federally which minister is going to take the lead in responding to the ALRC report. So as yet, we haven't yet had a response.
1: And and do you think that that lack of clarity from the government suggests that they perhaps aren't taking it as seriously as advocacy groups would like?
2: I think it's too early for us to tell yet. We're optimistic that... You know, it, it was the former Attorney-General who has called this inquiry into the incarceration rates of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, and, and you know, framed it as essentially a, a national disaster. And so we're really optimistic that with this roadmap that's been provided by the ALRC and these recommendations that all Australian governments can now actually choose to follow up and implement these recommendations, and perhaps certainly better than previous reports have been taken up.
0: So I want to focus on one of the key recommendations in there, that one about stopping stopping people from being jailed for unpaid fines, because that seems to be a really consistent theme, not just in Australia, but around the world in a way that um, people that are living in poverty or are some disadvantaged are going to jail for really minor offences such as failing to pay a parking fine um, or something like this. So how often does that happen here? And is there is there strong evidence that it disproportionately impacts marginalised communities, particularly Indigenous Australians?
2: Yeah, it's happening really frequently. And during my time um, as a practising solicitor at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, I had um, countless number of people who were coming before the courts with, Um, you know, it's quite significant amounts of unpaid fines, which when you're trying to focus on, you know, making sure you've got food on the table, when you're trying to get your children to school, when you're trying to hold down a job, um, it's really difficult for people who are then actually um, facing imprisonment for something as small as not paying a fine. It's the, the... The rates are really alarming, and as you've indicated, it's often for really small offences that these fines can come about. And then as a result of unpaid fines, we often see that people can then get a court-imposed fine for not paying their unpaid fines. And so it really snowballs in the impact. And so what we're calling for is to scrap um, all laws that are actually sending people to prison for unpaid fines and to also introduce... You know, something that's modelled on the New South Wales um, fine default model, which is about um, ensuring that people have got community-based options rather than going to prison.
1: Yeah, interesting. One, one other recommendation the report made was around gov- stronger government support for justice reinvestment. What exactly is justice reinvestment and how does it work?
2: Justice reinvestment um, is about the redirection of resources from the criminal justice system and essentially into local communities that have concentration of incarceration or um, high contact with the criminal justice system. And so it uses place-based, community-led initiatives to address offending and incarceration and applying a distinct sort of data driven methodology to inform these strategies for reform. And you'll see all through... The report
0: of the ALIC that they've really taken a justice reinvestment style approach. So I want to talk to um, one another. Report recommendation is that a person's Aboriginality should be considered during bail and sentencing, but um, the critics and this debate has been going on for quite a while have said that that would create a two-tier justice system—one um, for Indigenous Australians and one for the rest of the country. Do you think that's a fair response, or? How should we be thinking about that um, impact of someone's heritage on how they're sentenced? The
2: ALRC report recognises that achieving um, substantive and not formal equality before the law is absolutely necessary. So formal equality suggests that all people should be treated the same regardless of their differences. Substantive equality is premised on the basis that rights, entitlements, opportunities and access not equally distributed throughout society and that a one-size model does not fit all and it's not going to achieve equality particularly for communities who are marginalized and disadvantaged like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and so substantive equality um, includes for example the consideration upon sentencing of the unique and systemic factors that affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It also includes not only consistency in the provision of sentencing options and diversion support programs across the country, but also ensuring that these are culturally appropriate for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people.
1: And the ALRC report said that it didn't have the scope, the organisation didn't have the scope to look into child protection issues, but they did call for a national inquiry into that particular area. Do you share their view that that inquiry is required?
2: We do share their view. Um, Change the records actually advocated in the beginning for this to be extended to the youth justice system, that children needed to be considered when we're looking at the vast numbers of over-imprisonment. If we take children, for example, we have continually advocated for raising the age of criminal responsibility, You know, children are being labelled criminals when all our efforts should be focused on keeping children safe and supported within their communities. Removing children for um, child protection reasons and also in terms of, um, you know, even imprisoning children as young as 10, takes them away from their families, forces them into the criminal justice system at an early age, which we know the younger that children go into the criminal justice system, the more likely they are to return as adults.
0: So, Carly, um, unfortunately we've got to wrap up there, but I was want to let people know where they can find out more information if they want to follow on about how this um, report is being responded to by the government. Is there anything you'd recommend they do?
2: Um, I would suggest that they can contact their local minister to ask about what's happening in response to this report. Um, they can also stay tuned on the Change the Record website follow our advocacy efforts, like we're really hoping that this report um, is taken up through COAG so that the the implementation of the recommendations can be monitored um, and also we can continually make sure that this is not a report that sits on the shelf, this is a report that will drastically turn around the over imprisonment of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people.
0: Thanks so much for joining us Carla. Thanks for having me. Thanks that was Carly Warner, she's an executive officer for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Services and a key member of their Change the Record Coalition. So it's that time of the day we've got back chat roulette.
1: We got to be even quicker than usual.
0: I know. So I'm going to recommend something that might get me um, forever fired from uh, Uh-oh. FBI. Oh oh, and it's an American country music album.
1: Boo! You're fired from being my friend. <laughs>
0: Damn. Okay. Fine. <laughs> um, it's Casey Musgraves' new album. So it's
1: Casey Musgraves is the most American country music name I know ever. It's Why Casey... do they all sound like this?
0: Why are they all called Casey with a K? <laughs> it is an eternal question. But it is a it is a good album. It's it's a bit soppy. I have to say, it's a bit cheesy, but it is lovely. If you just want to soak in some emotion on a Saturday afternoon.
1: Yeah, mine is also an album and it's the one I mentioned earlier. It's Cardi B's album! Oh. Um, it, it just rules. It's fun. It's got Bodak Yellow, which is the biggest track of the past uh, 12 months, um, but it's got everything else on it too. It's um, definitely worth listening to. Spend your weekend with it on repeat. You won't regret it.
0: So unfortunately that's all we've got time for today, but we have to say thanks to our producers, Natalie Sevalovska and Emily Zhao.
1: Take it easy, everyone. Have a great weekend and see you same time next week.